Why this is neither a camp nor are the people living there refugees. Plus double standards. An enormous explosion has caused many casualties, according to Hamas authorities. Why Israel gets blamed when Hamas uses human shields to protect its commanders. Hamas has put uh, the Palestinian people in jeopardy. Is there any limit what Israel should do to the people who are trying to slaughter the Jews? The answer is no. And Jewish students in the crosshairs. America acted in the 1960s. Will they act now? Unsafe skies. Delta 1943, cancel takeoff plans. Is the FAA's diversity push putting you and your family in danger? American L106 heavy, American heavy, hold position. And AI teachers. Welcome to GT School. George Washington. History comes to life. And Albert Einstein will soon teach your kids. But who programs them? First tonight, war is a messy business, and Israel's war with Hamas is going to keep getting worse. We know that, of course, because Hamas made clear how they view the situation. Pay attention to the subtitles. It is justified. We will do it over and over again referring to October 7th. In other words, Hamas will bake Israeli babies alive again. So with that in mind, think about the calls for a ceasefire in America. A ceasefire for Hamas is just a chance to rearm, because as you heard, they promised to attack again. So if it isn't clear to you why Israel feels the need to fully destroy Hamas, not just stop it or degrade it, well, you can now see. So we're going to take a look at the maps now and show you a little bit about the Israeli ground offensive into Gaza. They've moved pretty quickly here, and we sort of predicted this, right? Three axes from the north, uh, in from the west, and then here from the south, where they're going to try to cut uh, Gaza off and, and keep Hamas here inside of their stronghold. Uh, as we look down at the path of God into Gaza, right, they've been able to move very quickly through the relatively uninhabited areas. That's going to be the farmland and parts of the buffer zone. But now they are getting into the teeth of Hamas's defenses, and we're getting to see just a look at exactly what that is doing. This is video from Hamas, right? They're popping out of a tunnel that they have built, coming up and taking aim uh, at an Israeli tank with an anti-tank weapon and then going back down the tunnel. Another view of the same thing. So this is what they are up against. Take a look here now at the path into Gaza. One, very easy to move through the farmland. Once you get to areas where people can move from tunnel to tunnel, from building to building, it gets much more dangerous. That's why they're having to focus on moving here slowly, protecting their rear and their flanks, is making it very difficult to get into the heart of the Hamas' strongholds, that's being the Jabalia uh, Center, and also into Gaza City here. So let's talk about Jabalia. That's the area that we have heard about, the refugee camp that the Israelis have now hit twice. When you look at the satellite view, it does not look like a refugee camp. There are no tents uh, here, and for lack of a better word, these are not refugees. These are people who have lived in Gaza for sometimes three, four generations. There are, though, a lot of civilians uh, here. This is all a civilian area that Hamas uses. Hamas has built tunnels under 
these large apartment buildings. Therefore, when the Israelis attack the Hamas tunnels, the civilians die. We're going to show you the type of weapon that was used here uh, in the attack that you've heard so much about now. It's an American-made bunker buster bomb. Here is a large steel probe that is meant to go deep into ground. It is a ground-penetrating weapon to go after the tunnels and the bunkers and the like. So now we're going to watch the Israeli video, the gun sight video. You can see they don't hit the buildings where the civilians live. They hit an open area. And then we, we look at the aftermath there. You see there aren't buildings that are destroyed around it. What happened was is the bomb went in. It went down to the ground. It exploded the tunnel situation uh, and the labyrinth and bunkers underneath. Uh, and then that may have dropped some of these buildings because the ground was so compromised. As we heard over and over and over again for the past 36 hours or so, many networks, CNN among them, views this as a potential war crime. But you know that there are a lot of refugees, a lot of innocent civilians, men, women and children in that refugee camp as well, right? This is the tragedy of war, Wolf. I mean, we, as you know, we've been seeing for days, move south. And the Israelis have been telling civilians to move south. It's been Hamas that have been keeping them here to use as human shields. So let's be clear. Keeping civilians from fleeing to use them as human shields, that's a war crime. Bombing what has become a legitimate military target, meaning the enemy's tunnels where a senior commander has his command bunker, is not a war crime. And that's going to become even more of an issue as the fighting moves farther into these cities, where civilians are held even closer in by Hamas, particularly when it gets all the way through into Gaza City, into Shifa Hospital. And this is where the Israelis revealed uh, that Hamas had its main command bunker there. We'll show you the insert uh, that the IDF put out. So this is the compound, right? And it sort of looks from above almost the same way uh, Jabalia looks like, a bunch, of, a bunch of above ground buildings here, and then underground complexes built into open areas. So if the Israelis are going to bomb any one of these to take out the underground Hamas complexes, it is going to, at the very least, damage areas of the hospital. With that, we bring in Eric Erickson, host of the nationally syndicated Eric Erickson Show, also writer of one of the most well-known, I would argue, best conservative newsletters around. Eric, it is good to see you. Thank you. Um, where do you see this going? Not so much from a military standpoint, but given the, where the Israelis are right now and the pressure they are feeling, to me it means they're only going to get more aggressive, not less. Yeah, I, I think they have to get more aggressive here. The world opinion turns against them by design. Hamas uses external PR campaigns and symp sympathetic people in the media to do their bidding for them. When you've got CNN suggesting it could be a war crime that... Uh, Israel is going after Hamas uh, in populated areas, which is by Hamas's design, not Israel's. Uh, they've got to move as aggressive as possible, and they have to be as ruthless as possible before world pressure led by the United States, Great Britain, and France pressures them to a ceasefire uh, that will only allow Hamas to rearm. I mean, you just played the audio of the, the lead spokesman for Hamas saying they'll do it again and again and again and again until the Jews are destroyed. So they need to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, and I'm sure you know about this because of uh, how much you read every day, but our audience might be surprised to learn uh, that roughly about a million and a half uh, Afghans, other Muslims, 
were pushed out of Pakistan, their homes bulldozed, so civilians intentionally targeted by the Pakistani military to be pushed back to Afghanistan. Uh, now, that was covered very briefly by the BBC, but there have been no there is no outrage, there is no domestic protest here in America about that. Nobody really seems to care about it, and I'm wondering why you think that is. Because this is uniquely about Israel and anti-Semitism from the academy in the West. Uh, the Israelis are not viewed as people of the Middle East. They're viewed as European colonizers by so much of the media, so much of the left. Uh, therefore, they're default the bad guys. Uh, when it is uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan, it's two third world countries. So in, in the language of the left, they're two oppressed people battling each other. Uh, but Israel can be categorized as oppressor because after World War II, so many repatriated to the Middle East from Europe. All right. We're going to get to the divide in the Democratic Party a little bit later. Um, that is definitely happening. We saw that today with President Biden's uh, announcement of a new uh, task force against Islamophobia, uh, never mind the anti-Semitism. Um, where do you see this going uh, in America in terms, of, in terms of both the support for Israel and the issues of anti-Semitism on college campuses and in our streets? You know, I, I say often on my radio show, it, it's one of the old British prime ministers who said events change things. And this fundamentally shakes up the dynamic, not just within the Republican Party, but really more so in the Democratic Party, where a large fundraising base of the Democratic Party has been uh, well-off liberal Jews in the country, New York and Los Angeles, who are going to be withholding money to a party that can't unanimously rally around a resolution in Congress condemning the Hamas attacks. That the White House, and you'll talk about this later, as you said, but that at a time of heightened anti-Semitism in the country is focused on Islamophobia the day after an FBI warning about anti-Semitism, you got a lot of people within the Democratic Party that's not going to sit well with. They just happen to not be the most vocal members. The White House catering to the vocal members of the pro-Hamas caucus in Congress isn't going to do Joe Biden any favors on the trail. Yeah, at times of moral clarity, we're getting moral equivalence. I think that's something that you've talked about as well. I can't help, and I, I hate doing media commentary uh, because I'm a journalist, and journalists make lousy critics of themselves. Uh, but having having lived there for so long uh, and covered it, I'm, I'm really still struck uh, by the profoundly unfair coverage that Israel gets. Not to say that Israel doesn't do wrong things, not to say that there are not... Uh, people living in Gaza who are suffering. There are. Uh, and they're suffering because of Hamas, not because of Israel. Uh, we're going to just play you a little bit of a, some clips from CNN uh, in their coverage over the past 24 hours and get your thoughts. An enormous explosion at the Jabalia refugee camp in northern Gaza has caused many casualties. And every day, Israel's siege is causing ever more desperate hunger, thirst and medical needs. It's taking out one Hamas leader inside that camp and possibly some other uh, Hamas targets. Is it worth the deaths of large, a large number of innocent Palestinians? Because those of us who have been to that Jabalia refugee camp know it's packed, packed with uh, people all over the place. Yeah, and CNN also knows that underneath the Jabalia refugee camp, as we all did who live there, are the Hamas tunnels. Look, Christiane Amanpour, I've, I've never known her to be someone to even give Israel a fair uh, Wolf Blitzer, I think, does. But uh, they're asking questions without actually 
putting the parameters around it for the proper context. They accuse Republicans a lot of, of misinformation, disinformation, or leaving out key elements. It's a pretty big key element that Hamas willfully built its tunnels under these residential areas to force the Israelis to kill civilians to get to them. And that's not a war crime that happens in war. I mean, we firebombed all of Dresden in World War II because the Germans were building their munitions in homes in Dresden to force the Allies to do it. War is hell, and Israel is going to respond. Yeah, it, it, war is hell. Uh, it really is. And uh, it, it, is, it is terrible what is going on. Uh, there. Hey, Eric, it's always good to see you. Thank you. We enjoy reading about it in the newsletter and obviously listening to you. We'll talk soon. Take care. Yeah. If you watch one thing today, just one, this should be it. The video on the left was taken at Harvard. A young Jewish student was trying to get past protesters or people who were attacking him. Hard to understand exactly why, but they surrounded him and attacked him, pushed him around, didn't quite beat him up. It reminded us of the images on the right when a school in Little Rock, Arkansas was desegregated. Young black students tried to walk to class. And you can just see the hate on their faces. It's kind of the same hate that you see on the faces on the left. You might remember then-President Eisenhower sent in the 101st Airborne to protect those black students. The Biden administration could be protecting these students, but as we explained to you on the show last night, they won't. The fact is that the Department of Education under... Uh, President Biden has the power simply to direct its own investigations. It also has the power to develop nationwide uh, proactive compliance reviews. It doesn't have to wait. It could go out there tomorrow. As they have done in a number of other issues that they view as important. We first told you about Shahar Tarak uh, earlier this week. She's the Jewish student at Yale who was censored by her student newspaper. You can see the editorial, they say, uh, the column that was edited to remove unsubstantiated claims that Hamas raped women and beheaded men. They have since rescinded the correction and issued another correction, uh, which we're glad to hear. But Shahar joins us now. Shahar, I just want to, just from a purely personal basis, when you watch the video at Harvard, and we know that there have been similar protests at Yale, do you feel safe on campus every day? Thank you so much for having me today. Basically, the answer is no. I know that there are hundreds of students at my school and at others that really are calling for the death of the Jewish people and therefore myself and my friends. Yeah. When you see the video that we have seen over the past couple of weeks, and we've we've explained it when people chant from the river to the sea what they mean, uh, when they chant intifada, intifada, what they mean. Um, they're, they're calling for genocide. They're calling for another Holocaust. And then you see the video today of the young Jewish student uh, being, being surrounded. Um, and then you see what is possible, right? You see that you can send in the 101st Airborne. might be a little excessive, but you, there are lots of things that can be done, including but not limited to charging these students with hate crimes, uh, which certainly seems to be. Why don't you think that's being done? So I think that as soon as Hamas's massacres happened on October 7th, they became hugely politicized, actually by a minority that supports Hamas, but a strong and loud minority that does a good job lobbing insults and accusations at the Jewish people and their allies. And therefore, I think they've managed to position Jews as the oppressor successfully enough that they've been getting away 
with a lot of these things because people are afraid to stand up and then have those accusations turned towards them. All right. There's the issue of the universities. We've seen a lot of big donors pull their money from universities. Have you yet seen that have any kind of effect on how Yale is dealing with the the students who are so virulently, and I hate using the word anti-Semitic because it's more than that, who, who are pro-terrorist? Right. So my main concern is that the university and other universities as well have failed to condemn students for supporting terror. I mean, you mentioned chanting Intifada and River to the Sea. That's not what my peers are chanting. My peers are chanting resistance is justified, as well as Intifada and River to the Sea. And so... I wouldn't say that with university administrations being willing to just outright say these students are wrong, I would not say that the needle has been pushed far enough, right, because they're not willing to do it. But I think mm-hmm. that they can. Oh, yeah, they, they, they Look, they certainly can. We saw what, what happened during BLM. We saw what happened during Me Too. We saw what happened during COVID uh, by universities. So they, they can do an awful lot. Um, the question is, will they, as will the question... Uh, will the DOJ do it? Um, we appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Keep writing. Um, you got a bright future ahead of you. We'll talk soon. Coming up next, an AI, artificial intelligence. Albert Einstein teaching your kids science. It might sound like a great idea, but who's actually programming the genius? And do you want the programmers teaching your kids? Plus, breaking news tonight, college basketball legend Bobby Knight died at the age of 83. There's a lot we can learn from him, from his worldview, from what he demanded, from how much he cared, what Midwestern values might tell us about today. We combine cutting-edge learning science with generative AI to create a learning experience which is truly unlimited. Welcome to the future of education. Welcome to GT School, where we are the teachers. All right, new school, Alpha Private School in Austin, Texas, where kids will not learn from your typical teacher in a classroom. They're going to learn math from Albert Einstein and civil rights, just watch, from Martin Luther King. Science explains the world, and math is more than just numbers. We believe that education should adapt to every student's unique needs and interests. All right, so Alpha School believes that kids can learn core subjects by working one-on-one with an AI instructor on each core subject for two hours a day. And this brings up a lot of questions. Primarily, who is programming the AI? Because obviously we have the writings of some of these people. We don't necessarily know how they're going to respond to questions. Co-founder of Alpha School, Mackenzie Price, uh, is with us now. Um, All right, so how old are these kids that you're teaching? And then is it just the the people talk? Or do you get to ask Albert Einstein or George Washington or Martin Luther King questions? Well, thank you for having me. Um, The Alpha School that's located in Austin uh, teaches K through 12. So we have students as young as five up to 18 that are doing this. And um, it's a really interesting um, question you ask about how AI fits into our program. You are correct that we don't have academic teachers. We are using adaptive personalized apps along with some AI technology in order to create a really unique 
one-on-one environment for kids to learn at their appropriate pace and level. Um, What you're seeing on the screen now is kind of the sexy version of what's possible with AI. Um, But that's one small aspect of how we're able Hmm. to to provide basically personalized learning for kids. And as a result, we're seeing them learn twice as fast in only two hours a day. All right, so Mackenzie, we've seen so many protests around the country at school boards and the like about what kids are being taught. Um, AI is not the panacea for everything, right? Because somebody has to program the AI. And I'm wondering how how that works, if it's not just sort of replacing um, one person's judgment for a computer programmer's judgment. Absolutely. You know, AI is kind of the Wild West right now. Uh, But we can think of it as the same as the Internet 20 years ago. If we just said, hey, let's not even uh, deal with it. Let's ignore it completely. That's not the answer. What we need to do is use AI in a positive manner that's going to make sure to be safe. So we've all had experience or some of us have had experience with ChatGPT. It can hallucinate. It can have problems. It's pulling from a wide variety of sources on the Internet. And that is not what we want to do in education. So the apps and the AI technology that we use is based on K through 12 common core, which is what all schools, teachers, textbooks are pulling from. Uh, it's a highly curated um, series of information that we are making sure that the technology that we see, like where these historical figures can talk about science or history, um, that is pulling through K-8 common core. And then we also have a lot of human capital going on in the background of our school that's making sure that we're providing lessons that are tailored to a kid. So great example mm-hmm. of that. Um, we have students who, let's say we have a seven-year-old student who's reading at an eighth grade level. Um, just because a seventh, seven-year-old student is able to read at eighth grade level doesn't mean that that content that they might read at that level is appropriate. So we can use AI technology to create reading um, information for that child that's appropriate hmm. for them. A seven-year-old wants to talk about unicorns and butterflies, not about some things that might be, you know, high school level news. Um, and so that's where we can really provide a great, uh, hmm. great personalized color, experience. Color me, color me skeptical, uh, but I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, When I get to interview George Washington, I'm all for it. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Uh, President Biden arrives back at the White House soon from a trip to Minnesota, and he faces right now a wild political reality. The Biden administration wants to support Israel and at the same time maintain the domestic political support of people who want to destroy Israel. That cannot work. A house divided literally cannot stand. The Council on American-Islamic Relations, for example, says we are running out of words to describe the American Muslim community's disappointment with the Biden administration's refusal to demand a ceasefire. Ceasefire that, of course, would only help Hamas. Just this week, pro-Hamas member of the squad, Cori Bush, got a primary challenger, Wesley Bell, dropped out of the Missouri Senate race to challenge her in the 1st Congressional District of Missouri. We predict pro-Israel donors across the country will give him and other squad primary challengers large contributions. Here is how Morning Joe on MSNBC described the situation. Domestically, if you see Biden numbers where his poll numbers are dropping 10, 11, 12 points within the Democratic Party, which will show Donald Trump ahead uh, in, in a lot of swing states, right now you're seeing that. Because there are a lot of Democrats who disagree with Joe Biden over Israel. Chris Hahn is here, host of the Aggressive Progressive syndicated Chris Hahn radio show. Oh, boy. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's a lot, right? Uh, look, the Democratic Party has always been a big tent with a lot of factions within it, and nothing unified it better than Donald Trump over the last uh, six years. But here's an issue that's causing a little bit of a splinter. I don't think it's as big as you are making it out to be. Nine people voted against the resolutions. Five abstained, effectively. Uh, that's not a huge amount of people. Uh, but I will say that some of them do deserve a primary, and I hope they do get primary and get out of existence. I'm tired of defending people who will not stand up to uh, an act of aggression like that. And I'm not going to come on TV and defend any of them ever. I've been, I, I have been called, by the way, on my radio show, they've been calling me a pep, progressive except Palestine. And you know what? I'm capable of having two conflicting thoughts in my head. I'm capable of saying Hamas needs to be wiped off the face of the earth. And innocent people within Palestine should have some sort of safety measure uh, afforded them as so well. Is it, I guess, but I is, also blame Hamas for their lack of safety, and I think that that is, uh, you know, that you know, you know, that is not palatable for some people, uh, you know, on the extreme guess, extreme left on this issue. Well, it's not some people, Chris. It's fifty percent of people eighteen to twenty-four side with Hamas. That's not just some people. I guess Pep is. Uh, the Democratic version of Rhino. So there you go. Um, at, at least it right. is something that we can say, at least an acronym we can use on television. Look, the, the White House seems to want to have it both ways. And this is what I don't understand. At a time when moral clarity is needed, we're getting anything but moral clarity. A White House to develop first national strategy to, accom- to, to counter Islamophobia, as if uh, all forms of hate are the same, Uh, as if the calls to slaughter Jews on college campuses around America are the same as people being fearful of Muslims because they're calling to slaughter Jews. Well, look, I think we should not have violence on either side in the United States. Well, no, that's that's obvious, Chris. Chris, Chris, that's obvious, but there's nobody calling for violence against Muslims. I I, want to be very perfectly clear. Uh, No president has been stronger, a stronger supporter of Israel than Joe Biden has been. I don't know that it helps him long term, but he has been great on this issue. You ask Jewish people on either side of the aisle, they will say the same thing to you. You ask anyone in the state of Israel right now how good Joe Biden has been on this issue. He will say they will tell you how good he's been calling for people not to attack people because they happen to be on the other side of an issue he's supporting is actually the right thing for the president of the United States to be doing. And he should be also attacking people who are attacking Jews on college campuses and across this country. Which uh, he isn't. So, which you know, he, I think Joe which Biden is you, you might find this surprising. I'm going to take issue with a couple of things you said. One, um, from my reporting, I would say the Israelis think that Donald Trump was a lot more supportive of them um, than anybody has been uh, in the past. Moving the embassy to Jerusalem, uh, the Abraham Accords. Israel's most willing to compromise when they feel as though they have lockstep support from the American administration. And you're, you're seeing now um, daylight between the Israelis and and the White House, especially when uh, the Israelis are getting lectured to day in, day out about international law. This is a simple question. How is President Biden going to deal with this? Uh, how is he going to have, keep the support of people who care about Israel, which there are a lot, both people who are and are not Jewish, and at the same time, keep the support of people, and there is a lot of them, who at the very least don't mind Hamas? I think if you don't mind Hamas, you have no place in the Democratic Party, period. Full stop. It's 50 percent of people 18 to 24, time. Chris. He should, it, yeah, I don't I don't buy that number at all. I don't think those people know what Hamas is, frankly. Uh, I don't buy that number. They have no place in the Democratic Party. 
uh, and Joe Biden should spend no time getting them. Hamas is a terrorist organization that slaughtered babies, cut the heads off of babies, kidnapped old ladies, Holocaust survivors, brought them back as human shield. They need to be wiped off the face of the earth. And if you are a, a person who sympathizes with them, you have no place in the Democratic Party and Joe Biden should spend no time. Now, we can have two competing thoughts in our head at the same time. You could want to destroy Hamas and care for the Palestinian people who have no role in those terrorist attacks. I think we could all agree uh, that, that we don't want to see innocents killed on either side. Yeah, no, that, 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 look, any loss of innocent life is tragic. One, one can argue, I think, um, whether the best way to protect, quote unquote, innocent Palestinians uh, is by destroying Hamas. Because if you're an innocent Palestinian, the last thing you want is a terrorist organization running um, where you live and causing you all sorts of problems, including uh, war every couple and of years. Do. But um, we go, go on. Chris, it's good to see you as always. Thank you. You're the right man to discuss this. Coming up next, nice. almost nice. 700 people from Afghanistan crossed our southern border last month. Another 100 from Syria, 60 from Iran. Those are just the ones that got caught. What the FBI is really saying when they talk about fears Hamas and Hezbollah could already be inside the United States. Midday plans? Why, something the matter? Why not spend it with Antenna TV, your home for classic comedy all day and all night? What a marvelous idea. Dennis the Menace. Jeepers. Hazel. Holy smoke. Mikhail's Navy. <laughs> riot. I dream of Jeannie and Bewitched. I love it. Just a sample of the great comedies every day on... TV how it was meant to be. Okay, let's roll, dudes. And I'm going 10, 30, 65 in a 45 zone. Yo, why's my gas tank on E? Oh, and hello, officer. Wait, what? I'm losing my license. I'll lose my job. And here come the court costs. Oh, man, that's the thing about pedal to the metal, dude. You speed, you lose. Slow down. Driving is no game. A message from Virginia DMV. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Visit ManagerBP.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. After I lost my mom, I lost my way. Then I found youth advocate programs, yet behavioral health services. As a little kid, I made some mistakes, but I'm not a mistake. YAP gives communities alternatives to residential care, youth incarceration, and neighborhood violence. After completing our program, nearly 90% of participants remain in their community. YAP works. I'm working towards a bright future. Youth advocate programs. Others talk social change. We make it happen. Learn more at yapinc.org. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Veterans Day honors all who have served, but do you know how it started? Originally named Armistice or Truce Day at the end of World War I in 1918, it became Veterans Day after veteran supporters pressured Congress in the 1950s to change the name. Learn more at va.gov and search Veterans Day. Ew. 
Gotta get rid of this old Backstreet Boys t-shirt. Tell me why. Because it stinks, boys. Tell me why. I've washed it so many times, but the odor won't come out. Tell me why. No, you tell me why I can't get rid of this odor. Have you tried Downy Rinse and Refresh? It doesn't just cover up odors. It helps remove them. Wow, it worked, guys. Yeah. Downy Rinse and Refresh removes more odor in one wash than the leading value detergent in three washes. Find it wherever you buy laundry products. You're listening to On Balance with Leland Bitter on News Nation, America's fastest growing cable news network. This Black Friday, Antenna TV is having a black and white blowout. Sounds like a lot of fun. Watch TV how it was meant to be in glorious black and white. Hey, that looks good. A full day of your favorite classic shows in magnificent monochrome. Jeepers. Your television satisfaction is guaranteed. This you have got to see. Watch Antenna TV's Black and White Friday Marathon, November 24th, starting at 5 Eastern on Antenna TV. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our responsibility. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. I just got a text asking me to approve a bank transfer I didn't make. I bet you get messages like this, too. So much of our lives are online today, from email to banking and everything in between. To make sure my information was protected, I checked out CISA's Secure Our World website for simple steps to stay safe online. Now I know how to protect myself from scammers, and you can learn too. Go to CISA at cisa.gov forward slash secure our world. One terrorist organization after another calling for attacks. Uh, and so we should we- wake up. It is a time to be concerned. Uh, we are in a dangerous period. Hmm. That's the FBI director yesterday talking about the risks of copycat attacks to October 7th here in America. October 7th will go down as one of the greatest intelligence failures in history, not only by the Israelis who completely missed the planning, but also by the United States. Stunning new Wall Street Journal report says the U.S. all but stopped spying on Hamas in years after 9-11. CIA outsourced intelligence on Palestinian movement to Israel. We should also share some blame, in the words of someone quoted in the Wall Street Journal. In other words, Hamas and Hezbollah might be planning an attack right now here in America, and the FBI would have no idea. Here now, retired FBI agent, attorney Bobby Chacon. Bobby, it's good to see you. Look, the, the thing that comes to mind, right, is the video of all the people streaming across the border, uh, many of whom are, are not ever caught. We know that there are foreign nationals from Iran, from Lebanon, from Syria, from all of these countries in those big groups. If you're a military planner in Tehran, you would be creating, I mean, it would be complete malpractice to have not snuck people into the United States already. Oh, you're absolutely right. And and by all accounts, the October 7th attacks in Israel were in the planning stages for two years. So if they're looking at two years back and we're the next target after Israel, you know, almost a proxy to Israel, they're going to use the southern border. You're going to always exploit your enemy's big weakness. You know, I saw a lot of people surprised at how the border in Israel was so soft on October 7th. Well, look at our southern border. I mean, and if you look at the number of people that have been caught coming to the border or through the border that are on the FBI's terror watch list, it has gone 
up exponentially each year under the Biden administration. Now the Biden administration has this convenient epiphany about a border wall being necessary. Where was that three years ago? For three years, we've had people coming in unvetted into this country. And, and, and exponentially, the number of people on the terrorist watch list have been caught. We don't know right. how many have not been caught. We don't know how many in, in the terror watch list have gotten through and are living among us in, in the United States. Yeah, the, the term always is the gotaways, right? Because you, you have this number of the known gotaways, people that got on sensors or whatever. And it, it's, it's hundreds of thousands of people. So uh, you can imagine that the, the guys on the terror watch list are trying pretty hard to be um, gotaways. I'm wondering what you heard, because, look, the FBI is a bureaucracy. This is Washington. It felt to me a little bit like Christopher Wray was trying to uh, cover his own rear end, for lack of a better term. Of, of, so if there is an attack uh, in the next couple of months, like, hey, look, I testify that this is this is a possibility. You, you can't blame me like you did the CIA on 9-11. You're exactly right. And those were exactly my thoughts, too, when I saw Director Ray's comments, because for the last couple of years, Director Ray has been going up there saying the biggest threat to our our domestic security is these homegrown white right wing extremist groups. Right. That's what the FBI is putting out there. Now, all of a sudden, we're starting to recognize that maybe these Islamic fundamentalist groups, these people on the terror watch list are, are, are a threat domestically, when really the domestic threat that the FBI has been touting has been the right-wing extremists in this country, who have been here forever, by the way, and and their attacks have been limited. But now, all of a sudden, we're pivoting because of October 7th. I think it's a cover-their-butts type of thing. I think you're exactly right, and that's exactly what I thought when I saw his testimony. Yeah, it makes me wonder in terms of, and look, you hope not, that the, the Bureau's priorities uh, didn't match exactly what their, their public rhetoric was, that they were at least spending some time um, on this. Hey, Bobby, it's good to see you back uh, back in action on television. We'll have you back soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Leland. Coming up next, Washington, D.C. has a new way to stop their 100% increase in auto thefts. And get this, it is free. Will the old adage, you get what you pay for, prove true? Shocking turn of events here in Washington, D.C. The outlawing of masks while committing a crime did not work to lower crime here in D.C. Turns out criminals who are already breaking the law don't care about laws against wearing masks. So D.C.'s mayor announced a new strategy today, and it's free, at least to all the citizens. They're going to get Apple AirTags to track stolen cars. The chief had uh, another very good idea, and that is to give out free tracking tags, most commonly known as Apple Air Tags or tiles, to residents in uh, some communities where we're seeing the highest amounts of motor vehicle theft. Hmm. And there are a lot of stolen cars, up 102%, as is violent crime, up 41%, homicides up 34%, all crime in D.C. up 27%. Uh, Chris is with us now. All right, masks didn't work. You think air tags will, Chris? <laughs> no, uh, I don't. I'll tell you, look, I don't want to be cynical about this. Uh, I think it's good to do what you can uh, to enhance your policing efforts. Um, yeah, but you have to fear single-factor solutions to complex problems. Uh, that's me taking the words of Jordan Peterson. But it's a good idea uh, to remember. Crime is complicated. Um, and even if it's ugly and obvious and frustrating, 
uh, the reasons for it are multivariate, and you have to address on, all on, of them. Come on, Chris, you're from, you're from, you're, you're from New York. Giuliani, we all know how Giuliani cleaned up New York City. It's pretty obvious how yeah. you do. I mean, there, there, are, there are lots of answers. There are, this is all multifaceted. But doesn't it have to start with being really aggressive of going after the criminals? Doesn't it have to start with locking them up, not letting them out? There's a 12-year-old who was carjacking people. That, that's, a, that, that's not just like people air tags. Young criminals are not new. Uh, when I started uh, in this business, I was producing pieces and doing pieces about kids who were nine years old, who looked adorable, who would gladly shoot you in the face, especially you, um, to make a point, <laughs> to get their respect, as they called it. Uh, it's not new. Here's what I'll tell you. You are right, except for one word or one idea. Where to start? You can't start in one place. Crack down on your broken windows, as Bratton did here for Giuliani as the police commissioner. But you also message that there are other avenues to dignity. You also do it with opportunities for these kids to get out of these criminal organizations, to let them see that staying in school matters, helping their parents who can't be there for them, seeing about the socioeconomics. You have to do it all at the same time. You don't just punish your way into more progressive policy. Uh, all, for, all for it, but to your point, you, we've been doing all of the, the touchy-feely good, feel-good stuff, especially here in Washington, D.C., and crime has still exploded. All, that, all of those things you talk about, all the good works, don't work unless there's also a stick next to the carrot, right? Yeah, I think you need both, but I don't see them as good works. I don't, I don't see uh, creating a job base as a good work. I, I don't see as making sure that schools are safe and kids have somewhere to be uh, and something to eat uh. as being nice. Uh, you know, I, I see it as a social responsibility. And you're not going to punish your way out of crime. Because remember this, what do we know as an immutable fact? When does crime absolutely go down in this country, no matter what metric you want? When the economy is up, right? What does that tell you? Hmm. That it's not just about values and policing. It's right. complicated. But you can't well, yeah, do it, it, if, it, you don't, it if you don't enforce the law. The law is meaningless if you don't enforce it. I'm with you. All right. Sounds good. We'll, we'll, we will end there and you will have a great show coming up in 10 minutes. Coming up next, we look at the life of college basketball legend Bobby Knight. He passed away this evening at the age of 83. What his Midwestern values could teach Americans right and wrong? Probably tell us a little bit about a commitment to excellence that America seems to, well, maybe have forgotten. See you in a minute. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Breaking news tonight, legendary college basketball coach Bobby Knight died today at the age of 83. Knight won a national championship with the Indiana Hoosiers in 1976. He coached there for 29 years. Got his start at West Point, where he's a mentor to legendary coach Mike Krasinski, and he finished his career at Texas Tech. It is safe to say he was truly one of a kind. Scott Hamilton with us, a long time a watcher of college sports, host of the Scott Hamilton Show, college basketball columnist, and the like. All right, 
legend sort of doesn't even begin to describe describe Bobby Knight. Complicated, agreed. There was something about him, though, that that sort of single single focus on excellence and winning that that is different than what we have perhaps today. It, it, it is, and he harkens back. When you think of Bobby Knight, you think of you think of John Wayne. You think of Ted Williams, burly guys who reek of American values and hard work and grit and all that. But you, you use the right word, complicated. Bobby Knight, a guy who loomed over the sport like the Death Star for decades. And, and about him in quite some time. At the end of his time at Indiana, not the way legends go out. Um, the, the, the stories that have begun to unfold about his relationships with some of his former players, some of his former coaches. You mentioned Mike Krzyzewski. That's a complicated relationship right there. It, when, we, when we write the story of Bobby Knight, we're going to write about an, a maniacal obsession with winning, but we're also going to have to write about the complicated parts of, of his story away from basketball and even, even on the court. Yeah, look, very complicated. 76, 81, 80, 71 for IU. But there was something about him, and you said it was a maniacal sort of focus on winning that, that defined him way more than just three national championships. Um, I want to play a soundbite that is per- particularly apt today uh, of Bobby Knight addressing, and, and you point out, rightfully, um, some of his critics. Take a listen. When my time on earth is gone and my activities here are past. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my <laughs> And people loved him for it. It's that us against the world mentality. I mean, he could talk like that now and probably get elected to uh, the highest office in the country. People love that kind yeah, of... I was going to say, you know, he... Yeah, you think about it, he could have been an Indi- a senator from Indiana. I never thought about that. It's a great point. Um, in terms of just how how beloved he was, yeah, and, and his players, his players, there's a real plurality to how his players feel about him. On, on one hand, they would jump in front of moving cars to to protect this man, and and they idolize this man. But on the other hand, there's some trauma because they had to endure a, a boot camp type mentality for X number of years throughout the course of the year, and he still looms over them. They still wanted his approval, even as they grew into adulthood and went on to success on their own. Yeah, it almost reminds me of like a general or something um, in, terms of, in terms of how he, how he oh, yes. ran things. Yeah. Yes, Leland is nickname. All right. Very well, uh, it may, it may, perhaps, and, and I know you've written about this, we'll have you back to talk about it over the next week or two. Uh, but the pendulum, the pendulum has swung pretty far the other way. I think, you know, you think about sort of if, if it might be swinging back um, towards Bobby Knight uh, in, in one way or another. Scott, it's good to see you. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll talk soon. This was an interesting conversation. Appreciate it, Liam. Yeah, appreciate you. WeWork, you might have heard of that company once. WeWork's going to file for bankruptcy in the next few days. No surprise, its shares are basically worthless. That means a lot of people are going to get hurt, and not just the rich investor types. Evidently, food workers and fire sprinkler installers, their union pensions invested in that company called WeWork. This helpful chart shows how the office co-working company became one of the most valuable brands in the world, one of those valuable startups on absurd hype, and then came crashing back to reality. At the head was Adam Newman, who had some unusual views. You might remember him. 
We like to say this is for the we generation. It's not limited by age or gender. Anybody that wants to be part of something greater than themselves, that understands that bringing meaning and intention into work and bringing those two things together is a member of the we generation. Whatever that means. It meant private jets and absurd spending by Newman. Eventually the board pushed him out, but he left with hundreds of millions in cash for him. Of course, the fund managers that bought into Newman's absurd hype got paid, too, along the way. In the end, the union workers, the small investors, will lose everything. Business people tell you